It's Riley with a brand new last name. Yep, it's Riley Reed. I had a, a hard time deciding whether I would actually change my name, but I came to the conclusion that this is what I want. <laughs> I have a lot to say about it, and I fear that if I say one part of it, I will minimize all of the other parts of it. So if you want to understand why I changed my name you can go check that out on Instagram I'll link the post in the show notes but yeah hey it's Riley Reed I am your hostess and I am the creator of Woke Beauty I've also fine-tuned the definition of Woke Beauty as it is so much more than just one thing I've got a little bit of a trend going here Woke Beauty is a creative studio. It is a photography movement and a self-actualization tool. All moving parts of Woke Beauty work to celebrate the inherent resilience in women everywhere. And this show stems from that mission. We bring you unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries who have developed personal success despite the wild obstacles of life. We explore messy, interwoven realities surrounding topics like racial identity, mental health, and family dynamics, and it always ties back to her, her work, her dreams, her essence. This is our pledge to the power of resilience and the impact of perspective, and you might have heard me say once or twice before uh, that I believe that perspective... um, determines reality it's everything it's all we have and uh, that is really at the heartbeat of this show and um, well my entire perspective on life humanity and what makes all of us tick thank you so much for being a loyal listener thank you for your patience with um well my creative heart (laughs) um i am in the process of redesigning woke beauty's website with a professional web designer up until this point um yours truly has uh completely managed the site and it is uh time to level up (laughs) um A lot of things are shifting. I've hired an assistant, which is quite liberating. And yeah, things are just moving and shaking. And well, I explained to someone the other day that I think that really in order to grow and evolve in business, you just have to be in movement. And sometimes that movement looks like a millimeter forward and sometimes it looks like a yard backward but as long as you're just moving um, it's really hard to not have a chance so I am incredibly grateful to be here I am really proud of myself for making it through this season of life 
Uh, I don't think COVID was just a year. <laughs> it's been a season and it's still present. So, um, so it continues. And, um, well, yeah, more than anything, I cherish people as much as they at times drive me insane. <laughs> um, I'm just enamored by human connection. And I'm so grateful that this podcast has allowed me to facilitate that connection um, beyond myself. The uh, intention was to continue to stimulate community. And even if I just reach one person, uh, I feel like I've done that. So thank you, fellow listener, for your presence. And um, I am so excited to present to you today a conversation I had with a woman who understands words more than most, who actually acknowledges them with her entire soul. Today, instead of reading you a bio, I thought that I would read you the first couple of paragraphs from my column with Camille Stiles, uh, which published yesterday and is um, a really nice representation of our interview, my interview with Ariel. And um, yeah, I think that the intro is a nice summary that isn't so, I don't know, clinical. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this to you. Talking to Ariel Astoria is like basking in a seamless book of poetry. At the end of our interview, I remember thinking I couldn't wait to play it back as a listener. Her words are profound, yet undeniably accessible. Her sentiments reveal something rare while maintaining a colloquial air. Anything she's published, whether her collections of poetry or her inspiring Instagram feed, is approachable even first thing in the morning. It's no wonder we had our photo session at sunrise. I couldn't help but notice how the hues of the sky and sea mirrored the beauty of Astoria and her effortless words. I remarked at her ease with conversation, and she explained, My brain responds in poetic form. It's how I process everything I experience. I hope that my response encounters people. I'm not just speaking for you to hear. I'm purposely trying to create words that allow you to experience what I'm saying so that it ties back to some part of who you are. I want to offer something people can take with them to sit and soak in, something that goes beyond me. She reminds me of her motto, words not for the ears, but for the soul. Astoria has shared her poetic mind across multiple platforms, from spoken word to themed keynote talks, annual conferences, and a myriad of workshops. You'll find her splashed across social impact campaigns where her word stretches further, But what impacted me most of all after meeting her beyond the screen was her ability to translate words into energy. The spaces of silence between her sentiments were filled with hope, joy, and wonder. And that's really something rare. Astoria started in the competitive slam world of spoken word poetry in 2012. She then branched out as a freelance contracted poet in 2015. She has shared her work with companies such as Google, So Far Sounds, Lululemon, Drisember, TEDx, The Skims Campaign by Kim Kardashian, and more. 
She is the co-author of two self-published collections of poetry, Vagabonds and Zealots, and Write Bloody Spill Pretty. When Astoria is not on stage or on the road, you can also find her being interviewed and featured on various well-known podcasts, writing, acting, or modeling. Arielle, thank you so much for taking the time to share the space with me. I feel like thank you is never enough. We need a better phrase in the English language <laughs> to express mm-hmm. gratitude. Um, but you maybe have one. You probably have one. You're good with I don't know. Okay. I I don't think I've ever I've ever thought about that. I I recently listened to um, this podcast and they were talking about um, the art of bowing and um, the humility and um, just gentleness of that. And I think sometimes, you know, there are no words. I think it's more so just like a bowing to that moment, to that person in that moment as a way of paying respect and gratitude. And um, usually in a lot of cultures, you you bow to those who are older, you know, you bow to those who um, have had experiences, you know, b- beyond yours, and you bow to, to that wisdom. And so I just, I think, if anything, I think of more of an action than I think of a word when I, when I think of gratitude in that sense. Mm, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I wish we had that over here in the Western world. Same. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I got to go think about that. All right. Bye. Okay. Well, let's kick things off beyond the kick you just, you just did um, with my favorite question on this podcast. Where were you born and how do you identify with that place? Mm, I was born in the Bay Area and I actually have a poem where I say um, overcast and a red bridge that reminds you of welcome home signs. Um, and yeah, um, growing up in the Bay, my family is still in the Bay um, and it's, it is overcast. It is beautiful. I think there's nothing like the Bay Area. It's this melting pot of, of generations in diversity and it's stunning. Um, and it's always will be home. I think I've been in LA for 10 years now. Um, but I still feel like I'm a Bay girl. You kind of rep that for the rest of your life. Like my number is still 510 and I don't, I cannot bring myself to change it. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I love that. Why do you think the Bay is so ingrained in you? Um, I don't know. I think for a lot of us where you, where you grew up, where you were first, rooted out of um stays part of you I think no matter how much you you grow and you uproot and you change um still that was the thing that based you you know that was the thing that that grew you you know and there are other times and places that kind of come around but I think there's something so special about the Bay Area it's just very different um I would love to eventually you know go back and, and figure out what that looks like but for what I do and where I'm at, LA makes the most sense, but there's just something so down to earth and so raw about the Bay Area that I just will always admire. I haven't changed my area code either since I was 12, yeah. but not yeah. because I'm necessarily proud of it. It's just because I never changed it and everything <laughs> else always was changing in my life. So here's the one thing that's back when I had the Hello it. Moto phone. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I 
I've, you know, obviously, well, hopefully it's obvious. I've done my research and, um, you know, love following you and kind of staying in tune with what you're up to. And, um, recently watched your, um, your, the IGTV video that you Mm -hmm. shared, which was, um, so packed with, uh, Mm -hmm. your identity and how you process the world around you, um, and your background, obviously the occurrence that you had to weather, but how I love how you were able to really weave that through how you see the world and how you see yourself. And Mm -hmm. I really believe that, um, you don't necessarily have the responsibility to share that with us. And so, Mm -hmm. um, back to gratitude, you know, thank you for taking the time out of your day and the space out of your platform to share. Um, I know personally what that feels like. I know um, what it feels like to watch someone, you know, face that and it is really jarring. So um, I do want to tell you, I appreciate you through this screen right here (laughs) Um, for for sharing that. Yeah. Um, And off of that, you said something about your parents that really resonated with me too. You said, I'm a lot like my mom. And then you were like, I'm also a lot like my dad. (laughs) And um, I loved that because I feel like so oftentimes people want to hit us with one or the other, you know, but we're essentially a blend of both, right? Totally. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious how they informed how you live your life as an adult and and what Mm -hmm. did they nurture in you? Yeah. Um, so I'm the, I'm the oldest. So, um, I, I think I have a really, um, gentle and intentional relationship with my mom. Like I just have an awareness of her that I think is kind of set apart for the oldest child a little bit. Um, but then growing up, I looked like my dad, like spitting image until I was about like 12 or 13. And that really did a whole lot for a teenager's self-esteem to look like her ex-football player of a father. So um, it was very, just like that paradigm was so, so interesting. And now that I'm sitting at almost 30, I realize how much of both of them I am. And um, my name even is, you know, a carrying of lineage, lineage, Astoria. And then uh, I have two middle names, Lita. So Astoria is my middle name and not not my last name, but it's my branded name. And yeah, also my name. And those names are my grandmothers, um, who I didn't get to meet. And, uh, one is my mom's birth mother and then, and then her half mother. And, um, just like carrying that even, um, I grew up in a faith-based home. So my parents raised all of my siblings and I, um, to be, um, you know, to have a faith, to, um, have a, an awareness of Christianity and what that looks like for us. Um, and they nurtured that in us, um, that aspect of our identity. Our, each of our names um, represent different seasons in my parents' life. Um, so Ariel means lioness, and it was kind of like their season of stepping into courage and going full throttle into, um, you know, what ministry life looked like for them. And then down to my brother's name, whose name is Zion. And um, that's the place where God dwells is what Zion means. And so each of us carry these seasons, like these actually embodied seasons of my parents' life. And they've always nurtured that importance of name meanings and what it means to carry out the identity of who you are, um, not just as a title, but as as a full embodied experience. Um, and uh, yeah, they taught us a lot about uh, just who we were. I mean, there were 
it's predominantly girls except for my little brother so just this awareness of our bodies and how we operate in the world as women and uh, yeah a lot of that was ingrained and encouraged we were encouraged to be creative we were encouraged to figure out what calling what purpose felt like even if it wasn't the most practical thing so I'm curious you brought up purpose Mm -hmm. what what do you define as your larger purpose and how do you use your voice to share it where does I, you know, I feel like a lot of people like struggle with, with storytelling and mm-hmm. that they haven't gotten quite close to their own, you know, they can't yeah. crystallize it. Yeah. And so I'm really curious how you've been able to develop your voice and mm-hmm. how you've used purpose to really um, cultivate it. Yeah. Well, I think my purpose at first was just, um, I just want to make beautiful things and I want to make people feel things that was kind of just like all I knew you know and so it's like anything I did came back to that and now you know as I'm sitting a little bit more and like what are what are my life's intentions what are my um my intentions with my profession and um I just wrote this down um yesterday actually and I'm gonna read it for verbatim because I want to be able to start ingraining this in in um in my language, but uh, my life's intention is to write words, create art, and cultivate spaces that change, heal, and transform lives. And when I say heal, I mean the process of returning back to oneself. When I say transform, I mean shedding what does not serve to become. And when I say change, I mean revealing what needs to be uprooted in order to then heal and transform. Um, And yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting at in terms of purpose of like, I always have felt like words were a part of how I showed up in this world. I think purpose is um, you see a void and everything in you um, has a desire to fill it with something. What is that something, you know, and usually that something is not necessarily what we went to school for, not what we were told we would always become, um, but this innate existence and um, ability to fill something that we've been made and designed to fill. Yeah, that was so cyclical, yet you also were able to kind of draw this line from like, mm-hmm. to, to define like the path, you know, mm-hmm. Um heal, transform, change, like one follows the other, and then you might go back around again. Yeah, you know? again. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's, that's really helpful, like visually, you know, mm-hmm. to think of it that way. Um, so yeah, definitely ingrain that in your language. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, I wrote, yeah. I, it's like this exercise from a book that I, that I read and, um, and you write your intention in the middle of the exercise and I drew out the map and I, on Sunday, and I didn't fill out anything till Wednesday. I just like stared at it kind of like, what is my life's intention, you know? Yeah. And thus, what am I creating? What am I a part of? What conversations am I having that then fuel that intention? And it's, you know, another way of just coming back to your why, coming back to what you're doing, what you're doing and why you're doing it um, and who you're doing it for. What was that book? It's, um, it's not out yet. Um, I had to, uh, pre-read it for, um, 
um, to help endorse her, but her name is Ashley Lemieux and it's called, um, it will be called, I'm sure it's, this is what it's going to be called, but I am here um, by mm. her and it's really beautiful and she calls it clarity mapping. And so, yeah, when that comes out, I'm very excited for that. And I wrote it down in my, in my journal and I just stared at it for days. And so it was a really beautiful exercise. We were just talking before we got on the call about uh, work, your work, you know, and how you, you kind of have to throw on different hats throughout the day, even though you're yep. working in this space that serves you that you want to be working in and, and there's continuity. It's also just like you're jumping around, you know? Yeah. And so I'm curious, how do you manage the ebb and flow of freelance work? I don't know if you like that term. I kind of don't. I feel mm -hmm. like with it comes uh, a little bit of stigma, a little bit of misunderstanding. Like people assume you're constantly hustling to make a living, yeah, but totally. it, it's actually kind of just a response thing. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like you punch in, punch out. You're just kind of always mm -hmm. punched in. That's how I see mm -hmm. it. Um, so I'm curious how you manage the ebb and flow with the hats, the multiple hats, but also the ebb and flow of um, what happens when a pandemic hits, for example, yeah. or what happens when you change how you describe what you do or you want to pivot in some way? You know, mm -hmm. there's so many different nuances and I feel like you're the kind of person that would manage them with grace. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I'd love to hear how you do that. Yeah. Well, at first it was like, I'm definitely in a little bit more streamlined and strategic place than I was when I first started. When I first started, it was, it was the hustle. It was like, okay, well, this is the train. This is the thing I'm trying to grow and sustain and maintain. So all of these things have to be in place also in order for this thing to grow and sustain and maintain. And so um, it was a lot of just like working all these odd different places and doing these crazy different things, which actually ended up not being as crazy as I thought. You know, my first couple um, hustle spaces and hustle jobs were, you know, running a social media page for um, a clothing subscription company and then going off site and styling models and doing flat lays and doing all these things where I'm like, I have no prior experience to this. I'm literally just going off of sheer feeling. And yet it was building me, you know, to running my own Instagram and storytelling on behalf of myself and, and working with brands and things like that. And so all these little things that I thought were random actually ended up being what I like to call like this net underneath me that then catapulted um, the thing that I was trying to maintain and sustain in the first place. And so um, half the time it feels, it doesn't feel as haphazard as it probably looks to other people, at least for me. I feel like I have a system within the madness and it all, it, like I said, streamlines to some capacity and they all relate to each other in some way. Um, and so, yeah, I don't tend to use the term freelance either. And I don't think I've ever really assessed my relationship with that word until you said, you know, like, I don't really like it. And I'm like, I actually don't really like it either. And I don't use it, you know? And so I prefer to just say, I'm a writer, you know, like I'm an artist. Um, and I think those words give you permission to be the freelance and to be, you know, all those other categories as well. Um, but yeah, I think now I'm at a point where um, I've actually allowed myself to step out of a lot of other, you know, more consistent jobs and things like that to really focus in um, on the intention and on, on my writing. And that's been really fulfilling and 
terrifying all at once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you put yourself out there. So, yes. you know, yeah. when you do that, you're open to anything, anything. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes by using words we don't like, it can incentivize like a chat, like you can challenge the word then, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I've, I've asked people like, who's your idol? But I'm like, I don't really like that word, you know? (laughs) I don't really like the concept of idolizing someone. But then that leads to, like, unpacking that, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Trend word. Yeah, (laughs) Speaking of words. Yeah, so I want to know more about your poetry because Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of depth to it. There are a lot of layers, but um, you have an ability to make it accessible and digestible. You know, it's not it's not so overwhelming or so verbose where I like have to go, you know, sit outside for a minute and like comb through it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not like a dusty book. Like it's yeah. very um it's approachable. It's, um, I don't want to say it's light because it's, it's not superficial, but there's, there's space, there's air, you know? And so I want to know how you do that. How do you weave prose into poetry? How do you, how do you write in a way that allows your audience to receive and then potentially contemplate, but in a way that feels good? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm always so bad at uh, process questions because um, there's not a, I wouldn't say there's not a lot that goes into it, but then at the same time, I would say my brain is just naturally uh, responds in poetic form. Um, So when I go to write, it's literally just, you know, like as if I were taking notes, that's how I'm processing what I'm hearing, what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing. Um, And um, the way I can like weave or add a metaphor, add a simile, that's literally the image I see in my head, or that's literally the response I got um, from, you know, whatever is creatively triggering me at that moment. Um, And so yeah, it's, it's really hard to kind of like pinpoint of like how, like, I mean, very rarely, you know, there are moments where I'm writing and I'm like, okay, I cannot figure out where I want to go from here. So I'm on a thesaurus or I'm looking up other words or I'm looking up cinnamon, synonyms and things like that. Um, but for the most part, my brain just sits in that space so much so that I could be having conversations with friends or, or things like that. And they're like, are you doing a poem right now? And I'm like, no, we're literally just having a conversation. Like I don't, I am actually regurgitating what I heard from you, but how my brain inputs it, you know? Um, And so, yeah, a lot of it is just, you know, the goal I think always is that it encounters people. Um, My overall motto with my work is words not for the ears, but for the soul. And um, so when I'm speaking, I'm not speaking just to ears, you know, like I'm not speaking for you to just hear it. I'm, I'm purposely trying to create the intent that you're experiencing what I'm saying, not so that you can just experience me, but so that it ties back to some part of who you are as a person or some part of your own experience. And um, I think that is, you know, the greatest call of an artist is for only on stage for people to experience us, 
that's cool and really daunting and really fleeting. Um, but I want something that takes people can take with them, um, whether that be a word that they're processing on or a line or even, a, you know, just a reminder of something that they can sit and soak in. Um, and then it kind of goes past me at that point. I, you mentioned, you know, sometimes you're sitting and you're writing and maybe it doesn't come, you know, so you might, mm-hmm. you might rely on a thesaurus. Is there a quote or a mantra that, that you like that you've turned to in times of, of stress or self-doubt? Yeah, I think um, there's one that I have in, in my poem, Created to Create, and it's literally a quote from Miriam Wilson, which, Williamson, which she says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are um, light beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that frightens us most. We ask ourselves, who am I to be talented, brilliant, fabulous, gorgeous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God and you playing small does not serve this world. Um, mm. And yeah, that I mean, created to create was the first poem I wrote to come to terms with oh shoot, this creative thing might not just be like a little hobby on the side. Like this might be full force what I let, you know, run my life almost. Um, This might be a huge part of not just what I do, but who I am. And so that poem um, and that quote was like, this is, this is your light. You know, this is um, what you've been given to fill that void that, you know, is in this world to whatever capacity. And so um, it's a constant reminder to come back to for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Just hearing you recite it too. The fact that you can pull that from your mind, you don't have mm-hmm. to like Google it, you know, yeah, yes. it just goes to show how intentional you are about oh, what you consume, you know? Yeah. 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 The memorization aspect from being a spoken word uh, artist, it's like, yeah, I mean, they're the poems that I've written, but then also how I've weaved them in, whether it's song or melody or quotes from other people. And to like embody, to actually embody words like that uh, really just creates a whole different appreciation for them. You know, I think in, in the same sense if we're talking about like humbling and, and bowing to something that being able to memorize and, and to take in words like that is I think another way of paying gratitude to the word itself. Do you have like concrete tips, tricks, um, practices that you use to to kind of um, like elevate yourself to to combat self doubt um, to aid you in feeling confident. You know, if you're in a rut and if you're in a low place, are there things that you do or that you could suggest to others to to make yourself feel better? Yeah, um, I mean, I had a whole um, imposter comparison panic attack last night, literally crying with my husband. I'm just like, there's no point. I literally would, I might as well find something else to do. And that was just very heavy and very intense. And so this morning I let myself sleep in a little bit. I journaled, um, I listened to a meditation and just kind of like, I didn't get in my corner and make a little, I, I did a talk the other day where I was like, we overcomplicate mindfulness. You know, we think we have to have our Headspace app and then also our candle and then this and this. And I was like, or you could just like, 
be, <laughs> you know, and that is an aspect of it too. So I challenged myself on, on saying that at an event the other day. And I did that this morning, I played the meditation and I was like, I'm not going to go and get my cushion. I'm not going to go and be by my plants. I'm laying down in my bed and I'm going to do this meditation. And so I did that and then um, went for a walk. Um, I blogged this morning for the first time in a long time. And all it can, I say all that because the comparison was I'm not a good enough writer. I don't have this now platform that this person has. Um, I, I'm not going to ever kind of reach that ceiling. And so I needed to write it out. Um, I needed to acknowledge that that is what I was experiencing, that those doubts were real um, and yet keeping me from processing, keeping me from doing the thing that I think I'm not good enough to do. And yet I've already been equipped to do, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so um and then I've been just immersed in work since, you know, and I've been excited about it. And so I think oftentimes we just have to remind ourselves why it's our passion in the first place. Um, I didn't set out to be a writer. I didn't set out to be a poet, um, but it was the path paved before me that I then stepped into. But it was never for acknowledgement. It was never for recognition. It was never for growth of a platform. It was always that these words live and breathe in the space that they um, deserve to and that they encounter people the end and I had to remind myself of that so reminding yourself of the why um doing the things that still make you excited and passionate about why you do it in the first place with work and it being work we it kind of gets dismissed you know it's like mundane yeah. it's it just oh like oh, I have to write something but when you go back to I wrote a blog this morning that was actually just going to be a caption you know and just little things like that where you tap back into um the creating for creating and and not for producing and um really getting back to that space mm, that's well said yeah the production can really um, suck the creativity out, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what if, when you get to that place, you know, and you're moving and you're flowing, now you feel confident, the self-doubt has been shed and then you fail, then what, what do you do? What do you do when you fail or when something doesn't work? Um, yeah. how do you recover? Well, I think that is a reframing. What is failure to begin with? Even when you just said it, I've kind of like, reframe that word quite a bit not that I'm taking it out of my language but I'm kind of taking it out of my language so the moment you said failure I heard pivot it's not it's not a failure it's a pivot it's that didn't work mm, what else could work you know that didn't become what I thought it was going to become what else could it become and so for me I've constantly especially within the creative world if we just sat in every failure, we would be buried by it, you know? And so it was like, no, this is a pivot. <sighs> okay, take a deep breath, reassess, where else can I go? And so um, the reframing of words, I think is really important in just assessing what is this word anyway? And why do we give it so much power and kind of going from there? This episode is in partnership with CamilleStyles.com, an online publication for everyone who aspires to a life well-lived. Every day, Camille Styles provides engaging storytelling and imagery to inspire the pursuit of your passions on the path to creating the best version of yourself. 
my series Beyond Skin Deep on CamilleStyles.com serves as a visual representation of Woke Beauty podcast features. The column showcases stories from creators, makers, and community shapers, female visionaries who seamlessly bridge holistic health, authentic inclusivity, conscious artistry, and a unique path to healing and restoration. The best stories are told across the spectrum. Here you hear her, there you see her. To read more and to see vivid photographs of our guests taken by yours truly, visit CamilleStyles.com. So I don't really like to always um, like classify life by years, but um, the past year was notable. <laughs> you know, it was pretty intense, um, definitely extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious um, what 2020 taught you, but I mean, honestly, I would say just what has the pandemic taught you? Because I, I kind of feel like it's not necessarily that year. It's this time, it's this phase. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious what you've learned and what you felt and mm-hmm. how you've processed what you felt. Well, I feel everything always. And that was only amplified in the pandemic because there was a lot of space to feel everything always. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the, this season taught me a lot of things. It it taught me um, just the art of and necessity of stillness, um, of being. I, I learned a lot from my plants and from nature in that first year of just like the stillness of of trees and and leaves moving and um, yet the common thread of it all tied together, the plants in my house that I don't see actively growing all the time and yet they're still and still growing. Um, The ability to hold both grief and joy in the same breath sometimes and what does it look like to make and 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 create space and honor to both things as they you know um carry us along in our journey because they will constantly be you know a twofold experience in life and um yeah the ability to um to say no to things you know the permission to say no to things whether it would be like oh I don't feel safe doing that or it's just I'm exhausted and I don't want to (laughs) and having the permission um to do that is kind of where I'm at right now uh in this season of life of like I could do it I just don't have a desire to and that's totally fine but I think for for me and um and how I grew up it was like we did a lot of more ministry mindset things and there wasn't always the permission to not you know it was like you show up you help um you do always and um being in this season of life of like I don't want to and I and I'm even still like I have there's pauses in between because I'm learning how to embrace that word, how to, you know, reframe that word of like, it's OK not to want to, you know. Um, and so just having that permission and, and really protecting your personhood is kind of like the phrase I've kind of started saying of just like permission to step back to have a day where you're watering your plants, where you're reading a book, where you're not tapped in all the time, um, is something that I've had to like really grasp in this, in this last year as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. Protection is, is important. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I've, I've so often been like a yes person, you know, I've, I've felt like I I have to say yes, because that means I'm moving, you know, I'm, 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 I'm surging forward, but 
Um, it is true that when you take a breath, it's oftentimes when, you know, the best things rise to the surface. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so, good. yeah. yeah so, um, identity is, mm-hmm. uh, so important. I recently went to an exhibit it was at the UT black studies and, um, someone wrote a quote about identity and it was just profound. And he talked specifically about identity um, for black people and why it's so important for us to elevate each other as individuals so that we can have a stronger collective force. And, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, our country consistently gets away from the concept of being a collective. You know, we really pride, we're so proud of individualism. Um, But identity, in order to take care of other people, you got to take care of yourself, you know, you got to know yourself. So, Why would why is identity important to you and how does race specifically play into how you see yourself? Well, first, identity is important to me because so I'm in um, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram four. And um, that me too. Just, yeah, that just means like we love being unique. We love being ourselves. Um, we love having just that, you know. I am me, I am this kind of snowflake. I am different than everyone else's. So that identity um, is is what stands me apart from everyone else. You know, I think the oldest child in me makes it okay for if there are other fours. I'm like, yes, like I don't find a, you know, a comparison or competition with that, but I I very much so will go to, but I'm a different kind. You know, like you're that kind of four, I'm this kind of four. And, And that uniqueness being so important as a part of my identity. You know, like there may be other Ariels, but there, there's no one like who I am, you know, and, um, and not saying that as a way of like, nobody can touch this, but just like owning, you know, your uniqueness and your individuality. I feel like that's really useful for comparison too, because if there's no one like you, then why would you even compare yourself to anyone else? Cause that's mm-hmm. who they are and you're who you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that that was really well stated. And I feel the same way. I, I say that we're like blades of grass, like from afar, we look the same, like as humans. But if you get yeah. up close, we're all different, you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, so so that's cool. It's funny. I I feel that so strongly the, that like you're just so rooted in like mm-hmm. – this is who I am. It's like an insurgence, you know, yes. like there's no one else. Yes. <laughs> this <Yes>. is it. <laughs> yes. And then that fear of just like being fundamentally flawed, like at my foundation, when I was birthed, mm. I was, I was messed up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so you're constantly striving to like be better, do better, mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah. Exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So part two was how that plays into race how and, and how yes. race plays into how you see yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that one's really interesting because my parents, when, when they raised us, you know, they raised us like you're children of God, your, your name means this, you're, you're this. And then it was like, in addition to all that, you're black, you know, and this is what that means to operate in the world. And so for me, it was race was never like, this is your full entity. This is your only entity, right? It was always in addition to. And so I think, you know, then going to a predominantly white university and my race then being the forefront of it, of who I was and constantly being reminded of that. And I was like, very confused, like, you know, that first culture shock of like, why do people keep 
reminding me like I'm black that I like I don't know that that's who that that I that I'm black you know I know that's a part of who I am just like being a woman is a part of who I am um but just like being an artist is a part of who I am but there's there's a mosaic to my identity you know and these are all um window you know different colors or or different aspects of of that mosaic and so um, I think, you know, I think I said this in, in my life, like other people will have ideas and views of who you are. Um, and we need to know what our own is, especially as black women, um, especially as, as black people, it's like, we had to decide and declare our identity and our worthiness because most times the world would do whatever it could to try and get strip us from it, um, make us believe we didn't have it in the first place. And so, um, especially now, um, that concept has been like constantly that reclaiming again of like, yes, this is an aspect of my identity. Um, and you're going to see me for the fullness of who I am and not through one lens, whether that's the being a black person, whether that's being a black woman, whether that's being an artist, not through those lens, you're going you see me through the fullness of who I am and really challenging um, people and other perspectives to see me in my entirety, to see Black people in our entirety um, and, um, and valuing all of it. How do you feel now in this current climate and how has it affected you? Um, you know, you said going to college, you know, that there was a culture shock there, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like the past year, I mean, granted, like, you know, we all know that this has been a thing forever, right? This is yeah. nothing new. Yeah. However, it's new, it's fresh, you know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of things happening, you know, have never happened before, especially with the rise of technology and just what we're able to be exposed to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, you know, on a spiritual, personal level, how this racial reckoning has affected you? Mm -hmm. Has it changed how you look at yourself? Has it changed how you define being Black? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's changed necessarily, but it has, um, it has amplified in a different way. You know, uh, especially with predominantly my audiences being uh, predominantly white people um, and having these tensions and these racial things happen and then coming to me, you know, as like a source of either information or guidance, but then also like, a, how are you feeling about this? And I, and it was very strange to feel like, are you asking me or are you asking me on behalf of all other black people um that you don't have a connection to and so it was really weird to get these like coffees and and these weird messages from people and i just was like i'm not holding all of this for everyone you know like i am one experience in a pool of many and and even you know the privilege even within that of just not having as many of the experiences as my sister who is four shades darker than i am you know like just that weird paradigm and so it was really interesting to sit in a lot of the tensions um it was really hard because i think for me, my conversation has always been like, 
I need you to see that this is way more connected to you than you think it is, right? Um, a lot of just racism in itself is a disconnect of, of a, it's an us versus a them, but it's always been a we. Um, and so I think for me, my conversation has always been like to come back to the we, like you see me, but then why does that differentiate from who you see in George Floyd or who you see in Breonna Taylor? And me, I see Breonna Taylor and I see my sister, you know, like I see George Floyd. And I, so th there has always been um, that connectedness there for us. And now I think the the world is just now coming to um with that but it it was hard there was I mean Brianna Taylor was a breaking point for me I felt like I knew her and I had never heard her name you know before um the uproar of what happened and I felt very spiritually connected to her and um could not help but also feel like I had lost a sister um and mm -hmm. Um, and really sitting with that and inviting people, other people, my audience specifically to also sit in that. So, I mean, I'm very sensitive now, like even television and things, words, podcasts, different things I'm very aware of. <laughs> and um, it wasn't that I wasn't before. I've always been a sensitive person, but I'm hyperly sensitive um, to, to what pertains to me as a Black woman in this world. And um and the same for my husband. We, I mean, we entered in an interracial re relationship in the midst of all of this. And that was its own um, conversation. That was its own reckoning. Um, that was its own um, space. And, um, and then really thinking, well, what does this look like this time in society and history? What does this look like for who we bring into this world, you know, what does it look like for um, the kids that my my husband will teach one day and really just like sitting in history is watching us now <laughs> and how, how are we going to respond to it? I feel you on the amplification. I just feel like every, I don't know, it's always been important, right? But now more than ever, every day I talk about it or it comes mm -hmm. up in my head or mm -hmm. some, something I say is somehow relevant to being black, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, damn, I feel like I need a break, but like, <laughs> I can't wash my skin of the right. colors. So right. uh, yep. how does that yep. work? So how you know? do you sit here? Yeah. Constantly yeah. protecting, you know, just like looking at a lot of social justice and advocates who are just doing the work day in and day out and their little nuggets of wisdom that they give of just like find the joy share the joy you know have the joy just like even just the joy and not just oppression not just you know um killings not just just all of that and really having to like remind ourselves of that of the people part of who we get to be as black people you know um absolutely yeah. I, yeah, I've had that conversation a lot recently, just that, you know, we have a choice around what we put out into the world. And especially when the news cycle is tornadoing, we Ugh. need to put it out then more than ever, because mm -hmm. just because something's happening in the news doesn't mean you're not writing, you know, it doesn't right. mean that I'm not doing what I do. Like, we are still working our asses off, you know, yes. and we are still loving. Yes. We, we still have families like, mm -hmm. you know, don't um, commodify us, you know, yeah. because when you do that, then you forget that this is our experience every single day, right. you know? Right. So, right. yeah, I'm with you, with yeah. you, with you yeah. all the way. <laughs> oh, yes. 
is there a book that changed your life or a book that you most recommend? And and if so, why? Untamed. Um, that, yeah, I, I say one of two things. I say that book was an unlocking um, and also a permission slip. Most self-helps are like, here, let me give you this rundown of, of now how to do things, how I did them. That worked for me. But what Glennon does in Untamed is she's like, these are all the things I did and that happened. Here's your permission slip to decide what that is for yourself. And it was just so life-giving. I cried. I cursed. Like I, it was just like this whole experience. And one of my, one of my favorite um, stories without giving too much away is she talks about this cheetah in a zoo. Um, And this cheetah is tamed and um, kind of used as the show tactic to go follow um, this bunny that's attached to this like Labrador dog at the zoo. And then they put Tabitha, that's the name of the cheetah back in her cage and, Glennon recalls like this moment where she's watching Tabitha just pace the cage and um, she kind of creates a verbiage for the cheetah saying like, I feel like I'm made for bigger things than this, but I'm safe here. I'm fed here. Um, And she's like, maybe I'm just crazy, right? As if the cheetah were talking and and then Glennon has this moment where she says, you're not crazy, Tabitha, you're a goddamn cheetah. And that that still breaks me because um, I was reading this book in a time where um, I was told and conditioned in a certain way and I could not hear the unlocking from myself. And I was like, I'm not crazy. I am a cheetah, you know? And so there's just, yeah, I keep coming back to that. I stand by that book. Um, And I think it's really a beautiful permission slip and an unlocking um, for women and specifically um, that we don't have to sit in conditioned and caged places just because it's comfortable or we think that's only what we're um, made for because we're not. I haven't read it yet, so I need to. On my list, I might go ahead and put it at the top. But I Mm -hmm. know how you feel when you read a book that just like reaches your core. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It speaks to the depths of you and pulls out all of it. (laughs) Yeah. If you could speak to yourself 10 years ago, you know, Ariel talking Mm. to Ariel, younger Ariel, what would you say to her? Um. I think the first thing that popped into my head was you have no idea. (laughs) Like that's just, I was 20, um, 10 years ago. So I'll be 30 this year. And so like in college, doing the college thing, uh, or no, actually getting ready to, you know, graduate. And so just sitting in that space of like, you have no idea what's in store. You think you're about to just go to college, do all these things, you know, but you have no idea in the best possible way. Yeah, I think that I would leave a little cliffhanger for her. That was poet, author, light speaker, and multidisciplinary artist Ariel Astoria. 
You can find Arielle on Instagram at Ariel Astoria. Thank you so much for joining us. It really means a lot because this podcast would be pointless if you weren't listening. <laughs> but really, I appreciate you. And um, well, if there were words that would better encapsulate how much I appreciate you, I would say them. But I think thank you is the best I got. <laughs> you can connect with us at Woke Beauty on Instagram and me at Riley Blanks Reed. And you can learn more at wokebeauty.com and stay tuned for a website that will drip in late May. Cannot wait to launch it. I am working with um, Ashley over at the fourth house and thus far it has been an incredible experience. If you enjoyed this episode and if you love this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much with exposure and creating a ring of light around these conversations. Have a beautiful day, even if it's not that beautiful.